Hi, this is Michelle with Moms Letting Go Without Giving Up. We are a support for moms of addicted loved ones who need hope on this difficult journey. And today I'm really super excited to um, have an interview with Will Green. She is the author of I'm Sober, Now What? Moving Through the Fear, Anxiety, and Humility of Life on Life's Terms. Hi, Willow. How are you today? Hi, Michelle. I am amazing. Thank you. How are you? Doing well. Great. Thanks. Yeah. I, um, I asked Willow to come to speak with moms because oftentimes we can gain insight into how to help our adult addicted children um, in healthy ways. And all moms, even though our children are all different and gifted differently, all our children matter. And all of my, the, all of my moms, Willow, they struggle with racing thoughts of um, their children dying. And sometimes they're just frozen in fear and anxiety. They can't sleep. Um, and, and I think in, in your book, you talk a lot about the anxiety of your journey. Um, once, you, once you became sober, then you still had moments of fear and anxiety in your life. And like our son and daughter-in-law, they're a year into recovery, but they're still trying to regain their life. And they're in a deep hole because it, it took they lost everything, right? And so I'd, I'd like to just start and ask you, Willow, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey um, in addiction? And, um, and then we'll talk a little bit about what you um, recommend, how moms can let go with love and without giving up. So, but first, I'm just really excited to hear more about your journey and um, if you could share that with us, it'd be great. Awesome. I would love to. My journey started when I was 15 years old. I was angry. I had outbursts. I didn't, I didn't feel like I belonged. I had a lot of things happening, and I was diagnosed bipolar and depressed and put on a cocktail of pharmaceuticals that were believed to help me. And the more pharmaceuticals I took, the more disconnected from reality that I was. So I never actually learned to deal with the emotions I was feeling. They were masked with pharmaceuticals. And that led me to exploring alcohol, exploring drugs, exploring all kinds of different avenues to escape my reality that basically took me on a really crazy journey. I was Baker Acted the first time when I was 21 or 20, around then, um, for having suicidal thoughts. And I actually did try to commit suicide when I was 30. I took two bottles of pills and washed them down with a bottle of vodka. Someone Mm -hmm. found me and pumped my stomach. And I went to rehab after that for three months. I also had an eating disorder at that time and was just, and that's why I could stay in rehab as long as I could because most recovery programs are 28 days. But since I had an eating disorder, 
I was able to stay for, I actually had to stay for a minimum of three months because they needed to nourish my body. So when I got out, I still set excuses and said, well, I didn't, I wasn't in recovery for my addiction. I'm not an alcoholic. I had an eating disorder. And so I still drank for another nine years. I didn't get sober until I was 39 and I just turned 44. So it's been a long journey. Wow. What finally brought you to sobriety? Was, you know, moms always hear, well, they won't get sober until they hit rock bottom. And I hate that term, rock bottom, because what is that, death? You know, but I think until the, the pleasure of doing the drug of choice becomes less than the pain, of, you know, the pain becomes far greater than the pleasure um, that's when each individual, and it's so personal, finds um, that they need recovery. What was it for you? That's a twofold question right there, what you just said. Um, yeah, I, I start with saying, I don't think, one, everyone has to meet their own rock bottom. That is absolutely true. And there is no one size fits all. Each rock bottom is different depends, depending on each person's experience and reality. The pain and the pleasure is very interesting to me how you describe that because getting drunk or getting high and escaping from reality wasn't about pleasure for me. Um, The way I understand what you just said is until the pain of staying where you are is greater than the pain of the fear of change is when we hit our rock bottom. But in an addict's world, there is no pleasure. It's either extreme pain or extreme numbness. Pleasure is not even an option on our scope of things that we understand. An addict doesn't experience pleasure. That's so good to know. Thank you for clarifying that. Oh, yeah, very different. It's completely different. Yes, that's great. Um, So when did the pain get so bad for you that you decided you couldn't numb yourself anymore? Talking about this is going to make me cry, so I'm going to apologize in advance. Um, The pain for me was because when I tried to commit suicide, I promised my mom that I would never do that again because I realized that suicide is the absolute most selfish actor was. When I tried to commit suicide, I thought I was doing everyone a favor. I thought that I wasn't loved and I hated myself so much. I thought I was truly doing them a favor. I didn't didn't have to worry about me anymore. And that's how a mind of an addict actually thinks. And when I realized that I wasn't actually doing my family a favor, I was actually creating more pain and hurting everyone I loved more with my actions. It was a wake-up call. It was the first time I realized they actually wanted me around. Wow. Um, And I promised my mom that if I ever got to that point again, I would ask for help. And when I chose to get sober, I was living with a narcissistic gaslighter. 
Do you know what both of those things are? No, I don't. A narcissist is someone who, actually it doesn't matter what they are, the experience for me was living with a man that um, was VP of sales for North and South America for a network marketing company who was this incredible genius at sales and had a lot of support and people loved him because he helped them make money and he was brilliant at his job and he was a brilliant salesman. He was a master at creating illusions and he was a master at helping isolate me from my family and my friends. And when we would travel and he would get mad at me, he would tell me what a piece of crap I was. He would tell me that no one else would ever love me. He would say horrible things to me when I would try to leave our house and just need to go for a walk. He actually would lock the door and pin me in the house. And when I would try to escape, he would say, and or I would hit him to get him off me or try to get out because I was in survival mode and terrified. He would say, go ahead, call the cops, go ahead, tell somebody, you're the one that's been drunk and no one will ever believe you. Oh. He fed off my drinking and knew I was sick and he used that to control me. And I allowed sure. it. I allowed it. I was the perfect victim and he was the perfect abuser. And the gaslighting part was when we sought counseling and I tried to get sober, um, the counselor said he wouldn't work with me if I was still drinking. And I really was trying to quit drinking. And at that point, I was starting to realize I was an alcoholic because I couldn't stop drinking. I gotcha. desperately needed a drink. And when I would look at this man and say, I, I really want to drink right now, he'd say, then have one and encourage me to have one. And then when I would have one or two, he would start with the verbal games again. And when I would call for help, he would say, that was when he would say, no one will believe you. And we would play that game all over again. So he would encourage me to drink and then just the cruelty. Because when I was, once I was drinking, no one believed me. I had a history of bipolar. I had a history of mental illness. And now I'm drinking. And it was, he could manipulate and control everything in the story. And I was at the point where I wanted to put a gun to his head so that he could never hurt another human being and a gun to my own. That's what got me sober. Wow. I was terrified. First of all, thank, thank you for sharing both pieces of this because moms need to hear, you know, like what what's in an addict's mind when they think about suicide? And two, so many moms struggle with their daughters who stay in these kind of relationships and you're able to be on this side of it and kind of explain how that can happen, right? Mm-hmm. So what what can you recommend and or you know, I noticed in your book um you overcome you overcame anxiety. You were able to find joy. Um, in your book, you talk about how to eliminate racing thoughts, how to move through paralyzing fear and anxiety, how to communicate more effectively. 
Um, there are a lot of different tips that you have in here, and I love how to transform our fear patterns into healthy habits. So here you are, this woman who's being manipulated and just horribly abused by this man. How did you, how did you break out and to the point where you're, you know, now on the other side and you're helping people learn um, the tools that you found, the resilience you found in getting there? Well, the first step I took was actually admitting I had a problem. This man could control me because I really want to start with these relationships since we're there. Because when we're in, when I was in that relationship, I truly believed no one else wanted me. I truly believed that I was mm. like this. Like they, when you hear that you're a piece of crap long enough, you start to believe it. And but if your mom had said you don't deserve to be treated this way, would you have thought, yeah, you're just my mom? I can't tell you how I would have. I don't. I don't think my mom knew. She didn't know. We're too scared to tell people. Right. She didn't know what went yeah. on behind doors. Like I said, this guy was represent. He was the sales represent, vice president of sales. Like he was the head of a company. He ran companies. Yeah. People loved him. He was the salesman. He's master of illusion. So no one believed me about what happened sure. behind closed doors because I was an alcoholic, and I yeah. was had all these labels, bipolar, and so no one believed me. It didn't matter what I said, and that's what he fed off. That's how he could control me because everyone thought that he was this amazing person and saw me drink too much, and I drank too much because I didn't want to be present. I was terrified. I was so uncomfortable and just scared that I would rather black out. So how did you get, how did you leave him? How did that transpire? I first had to admit that I had a problem because once we say I'm an alcoholic, people can't control us anymore. Once I said, I, so I went to an AA meeting and I asked uh, for a sponsor and I said, what do I do? I am terrified. She said, why now? And I said, I'm scared. I want to commit the homicide suicide right now. Like I am terrified and I don't know what to do. And he was trying to get me to go away on another business trip because when we were on the business trip, I was completely dependent on him. And when you're dependent on somebody, then you're stuck. So she, my sponsor, looked at me and said, well, 90 meetings in 90 days. Go tell your parents, go tell everyone that you have to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And if this man cares about you the way he tells the world he cares about you, then in front of everyone, say, then will you support my sobriety? And put him and flip the script. So for him to support my sobriety and support me going to 90 meetings in 90 days, then that meant I couldn't travel with him. That meant now everyone around knows I'm admitting I have a problem and I need help. And when I was, so I had to be vulnerable and I had to be willing to put it out there. So I put it out there on Facebook. I told my parents, I told everyone I'm an alcoholic and I need help because that took away all his ability to control me. And instead he was forced to have to support my sobriety. Okay. Well done. I'm so proud of you. It was hard. Yeah, I can't imagine. How how long ago was that? That was May of 2015, so almost five years. Wow. Wow. 
So how much longer did he stand by your side after that? I don't know that he, that man ever stood by my side, period. Um, it created a lot of conflict within us. I left him soon after that. I mean, when I was three months sober, I left and I went and lived with and did a shamanic herbal apprenticeship and went and lived in the mountains with this amazing woman who taught me all kinds of stuff. And I left Cool. Him. Yeah. And well, then I that's, actually that's... let him back in. <laughs> and oh. then I had to leave him again. It was, it, it was cra- it's crazy the way the mind works. Yeah, it's kind of like a relapse, I'd say. But It was um, a relapse because I wondered if it really was my fault or if it wasn't. So I had to give it another try. And it made me crazy again. <laughs> or I started going crazy again. I shouldn't say it made me, but I learned that it wasn't that, yeah. It was a really powerful experience of learning self-love. Like, I, I am so grateful for that man. As, as horrible and toxic as our relationship was, he's the reason I'm sober. So I'm beyond grateful for him. Wow. That's a great positive way of looking at that, isn't it? Well, it is. It, it, and so jumping ahead, okay, I know I'm jumping probably way ahead, but I want, I, I'm so obsessed with helping moms find ways to take care of themselves, right? And mm-hmm. so a lot, a lot of what you're talking about, moms have to sit on the sidelines and watch it happen. And it's like we're so astute, like, and we see it, we know it, and we have to sit by and wait for our addicted loved one to say and admit, first of all, that they have a problem, but we have to be able to say, I am um, powerless over their addiction. There's nothing that I can do for them. This is their journey. I have to stay in my business, but I still want to love my child. I cannot, cannot even see my child because when I see my child, he or she is so sick, so frail, that it it literally, like, would make my heart race. I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't breathe. So... In some of these tools that you learned in your life, like I'm just going to pick one here, how to transform your fear patterns into healthy habits. Um, can you kind of help moms? I believe that we can use the same strategies that we're asking our kids to use, right? We're saying, look, you guys, we want you to go into 12 steps. We want you to get well or go to AA or NA or whatever it is for you. But what moms forget is we have to be in recovery because we're almost addicted to helping in unhealthy ways because we, we are so paralyzed in fear. So how, would you, how, do you, how did you transform your fear patterns and how might that correlate for moms? One, I wanted to share that I really appreciate you saying that the mom is also dealing with addiction because they're addicted to helping. Because addiction is a family. It's a disease. disease. Yeah. It's, 
it's passed down from generation to generation to generation. This, there's no other, anybody that, any family that you see where there's an addiction problem, it, it's not just contained within that um, decade or that, I'm trying to, what is the word I'm saying? That family unit. It's usually the that grandparent. It's time, yeah. Right. It's like it's pattern, something that, yeah. that transcends the family. And so it's really about understanding that, because kids learn from their parents. So the parents or the mother learned this behavior from their mother. And so it skips generations. It's the enabler, the addict, or we're attracted to the opposite of our parent, or our parent was the addict. And so it's really understanding this is a family cycle, and it's a family disease. It's a family problem. So turning the fear pattern, what is the reward of helping the child? And it's also understanding that 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 fear pattern didn't start when the child was an addict. It started when the child was probably born. It's just that the addict started picking up and learning new coping, coping mechanisms in that way. That's how they started coping. Is this, is this making sense, what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. So it's a victim enablement pattern. As children, we want to save the child and help them so much, and we don't realize that when we're helping them, we're actually enabling them and teaching them that by being a victim or by being stuck, that's how you earn love. And hmm. so as the addict, we learn how to get what we want through being a victim. Only it's unconscious. So, right. Yeah. And it's and that's what I say is like first there has to be an awareness and you have to almost journal. I encourage them to journal um, of those times where they're where they feel their heart racing, what precedes that, um, so that they become more in tune to what they're doing before they feel those negative um, feelings. And then it's almost like you said, in awareness, you have to kind of be cognizant of, of what you're doing um, and how you're coping with that. Um, so... How do you, so when you felt fear and you were aware of that, how did you turn it into a healthy habit? First, like you said, being aware of it and then taking a deep breath. Breath work is one of the most amazing tools and gifts that we have. It's our connection to God's source, the creator, the universe, whatever you want to call it. And it's our way of regulating our body, bringing nourishment and air to our body. Our mind follows our thoughts. And so when you're feeling that anxiety, you usually are, all your breath, it's short breath, and it's in your chest, correct? Correct, yes. And our mind is racing just like our breath is racing. So the first step is slowing down the breath. So put your hand on your belly button a second and okay. sit comfortably. And now 
take a couple deep breaths and slow down your breath into and breathe into your hand into your belly button. Feels great. Feel how, how that do you do shift yeah. the mindset. Yeah, so and you first, really have to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're thinking about your breath, you're not thinking about everything else because the anxiety is thinking about the future or thinking about things that aren't even real. It's our mind going crazy and making up stories. None of that is real. One of the things, one of the things I, I tell moms is when you have that thought, ask yourself, do you know this to be true? Do you know that true positively without a doubt to be true? And most of the time, no, we don't. So we, we stress about those things that, like you said, are, aren't even real or they, they are untruths, but they're the what if. They're the, oh, my goodness, this is going to happen and I can't do anything about it things. So, but we don't know that. So, um, and I love that. So for somebody, so let's go back to this breathing thing and your hand on your um, this ta- this took a while for me to learn. I, I and I feel like I'm still in learning mode with the breathing. Um, so if a, if a mom is in this um, anxiety anxious state, how long or how did it work for you? Like how long did you meditate on your breathing and changing the focus in your mind? As long as it took. Okay. As long as it took, I was committed to change. (laughs) But the the way that you can practice this is by doing it daily. Like now I start every day with yoga and meditation. And I balance myself every morning to prepare for the day. Yes. So practicing this breath when you don't need it so that you're prepared when you do need it. Oh, that's awesome yes yes it's like so much in life right yeah yeah because because then it becomes a habit it it becomes a habit that you know how to do like you know how to um the word execute right so Mm -hmm. you're retraining yourself right and so one of the best, one of the great ways that I share in the um, audio or in the free, the book that I will share with your audience later, the ebook, is box breathing. So now, because when you actually hold your breath, you have no thought. And then so it balances you out. Once you're, once you're able to clear your mind of thought, you're able to then gain clarity because you slow down your mind, you slow down your body, the anxiety is gone, and you can actually think clearly. And that's when you can actually ask yourself, is this real? Is this relevant? Like, what, where am I at right now? So try this. Put your hand back on your belly. Okay. And I'm going to have you, we're going to do, I'm going to teach you and your audience box breathing. So okay. breathe in for a count of five. In, one, two, three. Four, five, hold. One, two, three, four, five. Out. One, two, three, four, five, hold. One, two, three, four, five. Box. So now do that again a couple times on your own. Wow. 
So it's kind of like five in four, you know, five, four or five. Uh-huh. Okay. And that regulates the thought because you're counting, you're breathing, and you're not in your story time. Very good. Very good. I like it because it's practical. It's something that moms can do. Now, you mentioned um, – I just want to I just want to mention your book one more time, especially if somebody's just popping in or hasn't heard everything. Uh, it's called "I'm Sober Now What: Moving Through the Fear, Anxiety, and Humility of Life on Life's Terms." And the reason why I asked and this is Willow Green with me today, and the reason why I asked Willow is because to join us is because she's been on both sides, right? Um, she's been. Uh, addicted to a substance and been to the other side and um, so we can gain perspective from her um, because our children our adult children are probably have had very similar um, experiences and so Willow is going to give away can you tell us about your free giveaway today yeah, I actually created a little mini ebook for all of the moms that is on my website that's called Inside the Mind of an Addict. And I really go through what's happening inside the mind and how we see things, how we think. And a lot of it probably most of you can relate to too because I've actually talked to my own mom about all of this. My mom is actually the editor of my book and from her having to move through my addiction and my recovery, she's now my editor, and we have this most, the most amazing relationship. I, we have both worked really hard to relearn to communicate. And so I share a lot of the things that I shared with her to help her understand my mind and recognize that her mind goes through the same thing. And so we're both experiencing the same thing, just from different perspectives. So being, so the book and what I share kind of just really helps open up that perspective in a new way to see it, see each other. When you see it differently, you can communicate differently. I love this. Um, I, I always tell mom, there's hope, there's hope. It, a year ago, I couldn't even have a conversation with our son and daughter-in-law. Um, and now it's kind of like you, you know, they're, they're so authentic. You can ask them any question about their journey. Um, they're just so honest. And it's like they're back again. Um, but when they're in active addiction, it, it's like you can't find them. It's like some zombie possessed their body, right? Mm-hmm. So, again. So this is this free download though, if they just go to Google and type in inside the mind of an addict, will they find no, it? No, I'm gonna be I'm offering it on my website, groovywillowgreen.com. So you would have to go to groovywillowgreen.com and I'm working um to upload a the free ebook as well as an MP three so it can be audio and a video so that it can come in all three forms. So groovy like like the song? <laughs> yeah, G-R-O-O-V-Y, Willow Green. Yep, Groovy Willow Green. Awesome. I love it. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So is there is there anything else, any other tip that you can think of 
um, from your mom's point of view, because now you have this great relationship with her and, oh, I'd love to meet you and her someday um, and talk about how, you know, she coped. And I'm sure she just praises God every day that you're back and um, she gets to spend time with you. But what what do you think your mom would say to the moms who are listening right now? That's a great question, and I don't want to put words in her mouth because that's not fair to her and it doesn't honor her. (laughs) But what I have learned in this process is I guess that's why I share that this is a family disease. By me really working through all of my trauma, it's uncovered things for my mom that she had buried as well. And, again, I don't want to disrespect her in any way. My mother is extremely private and completely the opposite of me and so I don't really want to share any of her secrets but I know that she is really really what she would say to the other moms is just try to love them and don't give up hope like my mom never gave up on me and I don't ever give up on my mom we're both healing together and it's a journey of learning how to communicate with one another and see each other as equals and see your kids as adults. I know that when I was first in recovery, my mom still saw me as that 15-year-old she wanted to save. She saw that 15-year-old, and it was like we kept repeating these weird cycles of me needing to be saved. And so I'm like, so we had to find a way to still have the reward of our relationship, only change the game and change the story so that it's no longer me needing to be saved. And so it's a process of both the mother and the child working through how do we get the same reward with new behavior. Well, part of that, I believe, is because there's an emotional growth um, issue. When, When somebody is a teen and starts using when they're a teen and then they're 28, and they finally become sober, parents treat them like they're still 14 because they their emotional grace, growth has been stymied. And so one of, the, one of the things that we teach is how to begin, like you said, you have to quit treating your adult children like they're still minors and um it's it's like saying i believe in you it's like saying um this is your journey and i'm confident you're going to succeed and i you know it's like you said just treating each other like an adult and so instead of thinking that we have to help them or rescue them so it's a different mind shift um it is and i want to elaborate on that a little bit because you have to also remember that we don't know how to process. When you get sober at 28, you are emotionally a 14-year-old. Right. We don't know how to do the things that a lot of people know how to do sometimes. We don't know how to process. So there has to be, there's a grace period and a growth period where you where a parent still can help, but in a different way. Help them learn versus do it for them. Right. You say, help them grow versus, you know, don't pay for everything. There, there has to be a grace period just like there was for teenagers. 
or just like that transition to college. Like, because yeah. sometimes when you get sober as an adult, you really don't know how to do anything. And well, you can't, say, and it would be like throwing a 14-year-old out into the world saying, why, why, why don't you know how to communicate? Why don't you know how to do this? It's, there has to be a transitional period, and every single person is unique and different. So those terms, you know, that's a lot of why I work with people, and I help them really step into that new space. And because the way we commute, you're learning to communicate. So sometimes the way we communicate when we first get sober is aggressive. It's, um, it turns people off, and it's combative because we don't know any other way. So there's a grace period, but during that grace period, it has to be a grace and growth. I say it's a shift to not how can I help you, but how can I help you help yourself? So, yeah. you know, I, I, want, I want to be a part of that. I'm not going to do it for you. I'm not going to give you, you know, all the money and blah, blah, blah. But you kind of come alongside them and, and say, you know, what are you struggling with? How can I help you help yourself? It's, you know, it's a different way. It's a healthier way to um, empower them, I guess, to to learn and make, you know, the, make the shift. But um, so complicated. Oh, it's so complex. <laughs> Would it be fair to ask you if, as a mother, did you often tell your son how to do things and want to tell him? Because you could foresee the problems, so you would tell him how to do it or tell him how to do things? That wasn't that wasn't my um, that wasn't my problem. Um, I, I I'm not saying that it's it's not other people's. Um, our son had some anger issues when he was younger, and we were always, you know, no, this is inappropriate. We were good with boundaries, and so this these are the consequences. And what will you do different next time? Um, we were all about, you know, helping and with therapy. And I, I think he, my my difficulty was always when once the grandkids were born, and worrying about them being safe because they were victims. And um, I, I couldn't I couldn't help mom and dad, but oftentimes we would do too much to provide a better life for the grandkids um, because we didn't want them living in the slums. We didn't, we wanted them to have a good education, you know, things like that. So mine was, mine's probably different than a lot of people's, but no, I can't say that I wanted to do, um, I wanted to do, you know, tell my son how to do stuff all the time. He was, I mean, he moved out when he was 17. He was just a really hard worker. He got his degree. Um, you know, it just, it just happened to me once the kids, once he um, got married and uh, his, his wife has had um, a lot of difficulty with depression. And so um, it was, not understanding how to help health, healthy, right? So I would try to empower them both. But um, in the end, we just always worried that the kids would. 
die in an accident. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I can't, I'm probably not the typical mom. I don't know. I don't know. But. What is the typical mom? Is there one? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think a typical mom is a mom who doesn't want her child to die. Correct. That is every mom, right? And so that's, you know, so my journey, I guess what I'm saying is my journey might be different, but in the end, we can all relate because we don't want our children to die. And so it's, it's saying, mom, we can't control that. All we can control is ourselves and the way we respond to their choices. So that's where I come in with helping just with education, with self-care, um, because knowledge is helpful um, when we understand both sides of the equation, I believe, because the anecdote to addiction is connectivity and, and staying connected and understanding. Um, so, well, and I, can from. I say something about that too? Because when you were talking sure. about the rage or the anger, it's emotion. Like rage, and sure. I talk about this in the ebook, but all of that is emotion, and emotion needs to be expressed. And exactly. when we're in somebody in recovery, the only way they know how to express it as rage or anger because it's been repressed so long. But in reality, it's passion. It's all passion. And so it's a, one allowing that to come out, and it has to come out, yeah. and there's a lot of safe outlets that, that are options and there to come out. And there should be no shame in that. There should be no shame in that. And everybody has passion, emotion, anger. It's the it's it's the way you express it. And so when he was young, it was like, well, this is a maturity thing. He's going to learn this. But I don't know that, you know, he ever had the right people in his path to show him, you know, a better way. I don't I don't I don't think he did. Well, he obviously did. I think because he, if he did, then he would have learned a different way. Right. And I I mean, I didn't handle anger that way. My husband didn't handle anger that way. So we we didn't try to teach him. We just tried to, you know, give him other ways to express it um that were healthy. Uh so did you ever ask that. him what he was did you ever ask him what was going on inside his head? What he was feeling? Oh yeah. A, a lot. A lot of times. Um but he okay, so he left home when he was seventeen. He's thirty eight now. So um you know, this was twenty five years ago that or more that you know, thirty years ago that um this was going on. He said since he's been sober he hasn't had any bouts of anger. And I said, you know, I I didn't I just said, Well there's no shame in anger. Like it's okay. Like, I still think he's stuck on thinking that anger is a bad thing. Um, anyway, but it's his journey with that. I can't, I try to mind my own business because I don't want to get in the way of God using his journey to teach him, you know, someday he may become an anger therapist. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but so I, then let's you know, take this back to the mom since that's the, the goal. Sure. Um, and 
I would love to, because my point of sharing that it's anger is because it's not just him that needs to express it. There's not just the addict, but moms go through a state of anger too and shame, blame, and guilt oh, for why and, and self-blame. So my point with saying all that was really to just say that for everyone to feel that is safe, it's the, it's the ability to express it in a way and transform it into something useful because it's all passion. And once the rage and the anger in, is out and we accept that each experience was just that an experience to teach us, we could learn from that and channel that energy into something way more productive and healing and fun and joy. But it needs to be expressed and moved to get out of the body. So do you think, uh, this is interesting because I believe, so I just became a trainer, um, and one of the things that that I'm going to work with is taking, everybody is in recovery, and everybody's like leading themselves, right? So we're all like entrepreneurs in recovery over something or other. But so often, and I think this was the same for my son, he was he didn't know his purpose and um he it's like you said like he had this passion he just didn't know where to put it he didn't know and i think he was frustrated with saying well where am i supposed to put this where is my passion what are my gifts what am i good at and how can i build resilience so that i can use my strengths in something that is passionate toward my purpose. And um, oftentimes in addiction, we want to say what's wrong instead of, no, let's talk about what's been right in your life and how you overcame adversity. And let's tap into your strengths and how you can build that into your purpose. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I I don't know. Um, I totally don't have all the answers, that's for sure. But I love that, you know, you're talking about anger as passion and having safe outlets for um, for that because moms have it. Everybody, everybody has it. Um, and it's, again, probably going through the motions of breathing and becoming more aware of, where that is coming from and and why we are feeling the way we are feeling and what we what we can mm. replace with a healthy habit or not. I wouldn't go because trying to explore why we're feeling what we're feeling is getting lost in the story. That's what creates the the depression and the anxiety. Just feel it and move mm-hmm. through it. Like trying to figure out what it is 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 what keeps you stuck and sick. Like it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't just get it out. Okay. Just like get it go out. out and go for a walk. Go scream. Write a letter and burn it. Do whatever it takes to get it out. But trying to sit and figure it out is like when you're drowning, <laughs> you don't sit there underwater with the, and say, oh, my God, why is this <laughs> happening to me? Why, why am I drowning? Why you, you freaking fight for your life and you get out. Okay, good advice. Yes, so true. Good to know. Okay. Oh, this has been great. I'm learning from you. <laughs> I hope that I hope that other moms are too. And um, 
is there anything else, Willow, that um, you would like? Um, well, I guess what I'll do is I'll share this, and then I'll share a link to, um, you know, the groovywillowgreen.com where they can um, download the free book on Inside the Mind of an Addict. And thank you so much, so, so much for sharing your time and your book with us today. You can find Willow's book where? At, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Where, where can they find your book? They can find it on Amazon, and they can order it off my, my website, thegroovywillowgreen.com. Okay. Basically, you can find out everything at groovywillowgreen.com. Okay. And, but the book Sounds is on Amazon as well, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for and giving us thank insight. Thank you. Yes. Our, um, so this is Michelle with Moms Letting Go Without Giving Up. Please um, feel free to download my free book, too, at momslettinggo.com. And um, stay connected in a support where you can find hope. God bless.